0: in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. Good morning. I'm Kelsey.
1: My pronouns are she, hers, and her she, her, and hers, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. Uh, We are reading all of chapter 16 in Genesis. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. So Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? She She said, I am running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son, you shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild ass of a man with his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. So she named the Lord who... So she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are Elroy, for she said, have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Beer Lahoy Roy, and it lies between Kadesh and Barad. Hagar, Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar, Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: I feel like Kelsey deserves a round of applause for all of those names and places. The trick to reading scripture aloud is uh, just make it up and act confident, and no one will know the difference. Good morning. My name is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I currently serve as the interim site pastor here at UVC Edgewater, and I am so delighted to see you. Will you pray with me? God, you see us in the moments of vulnerability, in the moments of pain, and you give us courage, God, to use our voice and to use our bodies to move forward. And in those times, God, when we feel weak, you also give us the courage of a community around us to come alongside us and bolster us up, to be that family who carries us forward. And so we pray, God, in this time, may we see and hear you. May we be a community of courage for one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want to give a little disclaimer this morning that our sermon will acknowledge that abuse happens. It is a reality in our world, in our lives. If that for you is a topic that becomes hard to hear or deal with, uncomfortable, if you just need to get up and stretch your legs, there is space in this place to move about. The sermon's not out on in the, auditor- or in the lobby outside, so you're welcome to move around and make yourself more comfortable uh, so that you can continue to be a part of worship if you need to. But at Urban Village Church, as we mentioned, we are a place of being relevant. And knowing that abuse and the fracturing of families is a reality of our world, we believe that it's important to acknowledge it and talk about it. So we will do that this morning. And so we've been familiarizing ourselves with the great quote-unquote family of Genesis. This includes Abraham, Sarah. They're called in this text Abram and Sarai. They will be renamed later of Isaac and Rebecca. And this week we kind of go backwards in the story from where we revisited last week, uh, looking at the great family and some of the terrible things that they have done where they are not so great in this reading. And yet the Hebrew writers and God want us to be reminded that families can be terrible. Families do fail each other. God continues to work despite the failure. So this week we study this powerful text and the story of Hagar. So a brief reminder, this story, what we've been talking about for the last two weeks is sandwiched in between two passages in Genesis 15, Genesis 17, where God reminds Abraham, Sarah, also known as Abram and Sarai, that they will be uh, have descendants as many as the stars are in the skies. And this covenant that God makes with Abram and Sarai is built in, sandwiched around this story of Hagar. So they are constantly living with the reminder of covenant, constantly remembering that this child who is yet to be born and wondering if it will ever come to pass. So Abram and Sarah were consumed with thoughts and worries and wonderings about how God was going to make this miraculous birth happen because if you remember, they are old in age. And that's not age discrimination. That's just how bodies work. And after years of waiting, they take matters then unjustly into their own hands. Sarai, although she proves herself later to be a capable mother, shows herself to be a flawed character, a product of her culture and the values around her that choose children as a sign of God's blessing. And, one who, and then she reacts out of fear and worry, which causes her to make terrible decisions and great harm. Do you make decisions out of fear and worry and make good choices? No. <laughs> it's clear from this story that Sarai and Abram consider Hagar to be a part of their property, a slave girl, whose body is not the young woman's own, but under the ownership and use and abuse of those who choose to own her. Abram and Sarah pass the power back and forth uh, of, over the young one's body, back and forth throughout the story. And neither of them, really interestingly, ever refer to her by her name. She is a mere thing to help them achieve parenthood, when they doubt God's provision for what God has promised. And so they subject Hagar into physical and sexual violence into a forced pregnancy. And the result of their use and abuse of this young enslaved woman is that she becomes pregnant. And this is what they wanted, right? This fear of the covenant being lived out, God's promises, wondering if God will provide as God has said God would, and here is a child the child on behalf of Abram to complete their family. But Hagar, feeling the effects of the use on her body and her spirit cannot hide her righteous rage and her holy stink eye. Over this whole situation, she practices a form of active resistance, a risky practice that could endanger her life. And Sarah, Sarah is not stupid. She feels and sees the tension of the relationship. Perhaps she even feels a bit of sorrow and grief and regret over her participation in this abuse. But rather than repenting or restoring the relationship, Sarah dives deeper into the sorrow and regret and grief and acts out in unhealthy ways by increasing her abuse of Hagar. She then beats the young woman. Sarah's abuse of Hagar becomes so violent, so oppressive, that the same word that is used to describe what Sarah does to Hagar is the same word that is used to describe in Exodus, what the Egyptians use and oppress and the affliction they perform on the Israelites in slavery. So Hagar flees. She becomes a runaway, fearing for her life, for this new life growing inside her and thinking, that even death in the desert would be better than an existence under Abram and Sarai's roof. Hagar stumbles into the desert. This is not a great freedom to escape. She is only free to run for her life and free possibly to die on her own terms, this young black mother. And it's in this desperation in the desert that God speaks. And this, for the first time, Hagar is addressed by name. God sees her, and asks her where she's going in this wandering wilderness, this desperate departure. And Hagar, in her despair, she actually can't even imagine a way forward. She can only remember the things she's leaving behind and says, I'm running away. She, she doesn't know where she is to go, and it might not even matter. She simply must get away from the abuse in her life, and God's sensing her mourning over those who have failed her. And God being the God who does not fail, promises to Hagar that a great line will come from her, this young black enslaved woman. She and her future progeny will be a line of people, some of those descendants that number as many stars as there are in the sky. But this time, the family, the legacy, and the trees of its branches will sprout out from Hagar a young, poor, enslaved black woman. And so Hagar weighs her options behind door number one, most certainly is death wandering in the wilderness, behind door number two, returning to the home where she is despised with a child swelling inside her. And so Hagar makes the hard, difficult, but good for her in the moment decision to return to a a situation that might be filled with exploitation. She does this for the benefit of her child, putting the yet-to-be-med infant's needs above her own, and she hopes and longs for a better future for her child and will hold God accountable to God's promises. But before returning and giving up what could be her autonomy, Hagar exercises her freedom one more time, and she names God, anointing God with a new identity marker as the God who sees, the God who sees pain and suffering, the God who promises and fulfills God's promises even when everything seems hopeless. God sees her, she sees God and she lives to to tell the tale in our scriptures. So Hagar then joins this long line of women, of mothers, of female identified folks whose lives are a testament that God does not look away. And her story isn't one that's easy to swallow, I admit that, but it is a story we must retell because it is a story of the truth of suffering, the story of truth of suffering in families and God's presence in the midst of mystery. In fact, most families aren't perfect. Is your family perfect? (laughs) If your parents are here today, you don't have to acknowledge, but uh, we have in the past admitted to ourselves over the course of several weeks that no family is perfect. And as we read the story of the quote unquote great family in Genesis, it becomes even more evident that families continually fail, doubt, and hurt one another. Some families, in fact, maybe yours, some families are filled with abuse. Some families, maybe yours, break apart from divorce and become estranged. And some families exist in perpetual states of dysfunction and chaos, raising us up to be adults who seat out chaos and dysfunction, thinking it is a, a, a form of homeostasis or norm. So all families participate in the level of dysfunction. Unhealthy families, like the one we explore today, uh, participate in a form of dysfunction we're gonna unpack a little bit called triangulation. Triangulation is a form of family systems theory where two people or two groups within the family pit themselves or align themselves together against a third, Triangulation stirs up conflict behind the scenes, and it doesn't address the problems within the situation or the relationship, but it perpetuates harm for the fear of addressing the actual conflict, and it continues to further and fracture all relationships. So we see that Abram and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, triangulate themselves. They form this unhealthy and what later becomes an abusive alliance against Hagar. As they pass her back and forth, always talking about her, but never talking to her, fixating on Hagar as the problem and not addressing their underlying issues that were probably stress over their lack of conception, the marital strife maybe going on between them. And they don't even address God, the one who has made these promises, the concerns to God of this continual promise of descendants and wondering when and how and with, if God will ever provide. So instead they bring in this innocent, enslaved person, and they fixate their family stress on her rather than dealing with the underlying issues of their own emotional turmoil. This is what triangulation does in our families, and all families do this. It's not something to shame ourselves about, but to notice and to try and break those triangles triangles apart. Triangulation in families and focusing on an outside actor on whom we can place our anger and sadness can sometimes lead to abuse. It can sometimes lead to the breaking apart or the further distrust in our relationships. And while many of us come from families that disappoint us, families that hurt us, and families that fail us, the truth and the beauty of our story this morning is that we don't have to continue in those same patterns. Oftentimes, Families are quick to uh, attempt to change someone in order to relieve the stress. They form this triangle trying to fixate on one person whom they can fix, rather than doing the hard, difficult work of self-change and self-examination. So what does it mean when our families try and set us up in a triangle? What does it mean to change ourselves? Trust that the family system around us will find new and maybe even healthier ways of being in relationship with each other. For Hagar, for, well, hell, all of human history, the whole dirty business of human slavery is based on the the premise that enslaved humans are things to be used, and Hagar, becomes a member of this family because, and we remember her story and choose to claim her as a powerful mother. But the fact is that she probably felt her thingness, felt that her body was not her own and tried to escape, which leads us to question how she felt about being included in this family, leads us to question if she would want us to include her in our family because her abuse is real and should not be diminished. The fact that Hagar chooses to return is not the outcome for every person suffering from abuse. Let's pause, stop, hear that. Her life story should not and cannot be the blueprint or command by God for people to stay in unhealthy and dangerous situations. But what we do learn from Hagar is that she chooses to live differently within the structure, in the family system that forces those around her. She chooses to adapt and change. And so we're going to practice a little thing called in Jewish, uh, Jewish history and Jewish understanding of reading scripture called Midrash. Midrash is kind of, unpa- it's a short story unpacking what happens in between. We're imagining what happens to Hagar as she leaves the desert and returns to living in Abram and Sarah's house. When she turns around, she marches her way back through the desert, past the bushes and the sand dunes. She marches strong, footed, one foot in front of the other, brushing away her tears, wiping her snot on her robes. She rolls her shoulders back and lifts up her chin, and she leads with the weight of the newly formed life inside her. That baby stirring, tossing, and tumbling gives her a renewed sense of calling to be different, act Different, she does not slip into the tent grounds by the back way, but she goes in hoping to be noticed. She wants people to see her walking with confidence. She wants to hear the whispers of wonderment as she makes her way into the tent. She is not downcast. She does not avert her eyes. She carries the fire and light and life of God inside her. She will no longer, she says, cower at the lift of a hand to strike her. She will no longer, she says, deflate under the attack of snide comments. She, prou- she remains proud of the accomplishment God has called her to in this life. The line of God's family grows inside her and she moves through the world like she knows God is proud. So while Sarai and Abram are shocked by her re into their lives, this young woman who somehow now seems uppity or full of herself and full of that belly of hers. They cannot deny she looks different, maybe a little more righteously defiant. And her defiance is an active part of her faith. Her risk to return is an act of resistance that forces those around her to change. When they've previously wanted to snuff her out after the baby was painfully and powerfully birthed into this world, she has seen God and she has lived to tell about it. And so she is not afraid. Abram and Sarai sensing this change in her are not happy at first. They attempt to force her back into that previous role of enslaved girl, handmaiden, but that darn woman will persist. She will not fold back into that shape she once occupied in their space. She will continue to force them to adjust to fit around her. It is the new normal for all three of them. Sarai, the co-wife, Abram, the divided husband, and Hagar, the one with access to God's eyes and ears. By behaving in this new way, by maintaining her sense of self, Hagar forces the system around her to change. She is no longer the slave surrogate, but a mother of our faith. By maintaining herself in a system that is not set up to care for her, this young black mother changes the course of human history. And her power, because we are inheritors of her faith, runs through our veins. And so she will not be erased. That's the good news is that Hagar is, was not erased from human history. She proudly then and painfully probably gave birth to Ishmael. Islam is one of the three Abrahamic faiths, those that trace their lineage through Abraham and Abraham and find their connection through Abraham to God's family. And Islam teaches that they follow their lineage to Abraham through Ishmael, through Hagar. Hagar's story is included in our sacred book, the Bible, in the Jewish sacred text of the Torah, because the story is one of power and love that will not and cannot be erased, but retold and remembered for all of human history. The power and love of Hagar's story is that God sees and hears sufferings of those afflicted with abuse. God sees and hears the pain of those wrestling with a decision to get a divorce. God sees and hears the pain and suffering of those families that are hurt and hurt by their family. God gives us tools to live more confidently and healthier ways of being, much like Hagar. And God provides courage to self-examine as one goes through divorce or the end of a relationship. God provides protection and resources of a community for those leaving an abusive relationship. God provides determination to make a huge, hard, life-changing decision for the sake of a better life for yourself and a better life for your children and a better life for your children's children. God provides self-confidence to act differently in our families of unhealth because we are confident that God goes with us. So Hagar joins in this long tradition and invites us to join her there as the ones whom God sees, the one the ones God has moved on behalf of and the ones whom God restores to freedom. Hagar, along with Sarai, along with Rebecca and Rachel and Leah, and later we'll learn more about Zilpah and Bilha, are vulnerable and strong, loving and powerful. They are the mothers, the foreparents of our faith. Will you pray with me? God, we are both vulnerable and strong, loving and powerful. Our love is not anemic because it is infused with your power, God. And our work is not abusive because it is infused with your love, God. May you continue to open us up to be more vulnerable with each other to look for those spaces in our community where we need to provide care for those who are in abuse or in systems that are breaking them apart, that we, God, would be the community that comes alongside and says, you are family here. You are welcome here. Because, God, we know what it is like to be seen and heard by you. We look around to see and hear those in our midst. And so it is in the name of our brother and friend Jesus that we pray, amen.